Well, this weekend was Black Friday, and so many of you were out in stores, or maybe you stayed home in the comfort of your own home and your bed and your living room on the couch. You were scrolling the web looking for the perfect gift for your friends or your family members. My mom is a prolific gift giver. She loves to give gifts, and if you were to go into her basement, you would find it stockpiled full of gifts. She's ready to give a gift at any moment. She loves to give gifts. And so when my family traveled to North Carolina in April to get together for a family vacation, my parents flew through the Minneapolis airport, and my mom stopped in a store called Nothing You Need. Yeah, so this is a perfect store for my mom. It was full of a bunch of trinkets, a bunch of different items that you could give as gifts. And so her being the gift giver that she is, she bought a gift for each one of us kids. And so she bought me this wooden pencil. It looks kind of like a branch. And like the name of the store, this was not something that I really needed um, or, or really even wanted. So I gave it to my five-year-old daughter and she, she loves this pencil. She wants it back. But have you ever received a gift that, you know, well, you appreciate the sentiment, it's not something that you had needed or it's not something you wanted, uh, you weren't sure how helpful it really was, maybe you'd say, you know, I, just, I don't even know if I'm going to use it. For many of us, I think that's how we feel about our Bibles. Uh, maybe you've had a Bible for your whole life, maybe someone recently gave you a Bible, uh, but you're, you question, how helpful is this really? We're in the middle of a series called Getting to Know Your Bible, and we believe that God wrote a book, and it's the most powerful book that you will ever read. And you know Christians say that. Maybe you grew up in a home or a church where people say that, but you struggle to believe it yourself. So in this series, we've been seeking to answer a few questions. Can, can we trust the Bible? How do we read the Bible or understand the Bible? What is the story of the Bible all about? And if you have missed any of those talks, you can catch up by going to our app or our YouTube page or our podcast. But maybe you've got to this point and yet you still struggle with the Bible. You know, we can talk a big game about the Bible, but in your experience, it doesn't seem to match what we are saying. And so maybe you're still wondering, does the Bible really make a difference? How can this 2,000-year-old document, how can it still be relevant to our lives today? And so that's the question that we want to try to answer today. And we want to try to answer that question by going to the Bible itself. What does the Bible claim about itself? How is it helpful? How is it useful? Why does it matter? And we want to return once again to one of the most important passages in the Bible about the Bible. And this is a passage that Drew and Daniel have already talked about in this series, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 today, we're going to look more carefully at verses 14 through 17. If you're using one of our Bibles, you can find that on page 964. And in this passage, Paul, who is a, he's a pastor, he is a teacher, he's writing to his pastoral protege, Timothy. And in these verses, he reminds Timothy of the role and the relevance of the Bible. So let's look at verses 14 through 17 together. Paul says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know, from those, you, you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful 
for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So as we dive into this passage today, Paul points out here how the Bible is relevant. He points out two ways that the Bible is useful. And the first one is this, that it prepares us for eternity. Paul knew that Timothy, who was a young pastor, that Timothy, like all of us, that we're going to be pulled by the world around us, away from worshiping God, to focus all of our attention on ourselves. That the world around us, it's going to cause us to, to question God, to question his word, to question his goodness, to question his ways. Maybe you'd say, it's even causing me to question his very existence. And so, to understand what Paul is writing about in verses 14 through 17... It's important to understand the rest of what Paul has written about before and after these verses. So look with me at what Paul has written about the description of the world that he and Timothy find, find themselves in. And, and think about how does this world compare with our world? So at the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Great world to be in, huh? He says, have nothing to do with such people. And he goes on in verse 12 to say, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But he's not done yet. In chapter four, verse three, he says, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So this is the world that Paul and Timothy find themselves in. But differently than Paul and Timothy, we live in a world that some have called a post-Christian society. That the nation we live in, it has significant Christian roots. In fact, a lot of our morality has been shaped by the Bible. But the nation we, we live in no longer knows, believes in, or seeks to live out the teachings of the Bible. In fact, according to the Barna Research Group, they have listed Rochester, our city, as the eighth most post-Christian city in America. So, so what does that mean? What is post-Christian? Well, It can be defined simply as an area that has significant Christian roots, but now consists of people who reject that there is a God. They've never made a commitment to follow Jesus. They don't attend church, and they don't read the Bible. And Paul knew that Timothy and all of us, that we're in the battle not only to find faith, but to keep our faith. And so what does Paul say to Timothy in this passage? Look again at verse 14. He says, Continue, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Paul here is urging Timothy to continue in his faith. 
And how was he to continue in his faith? How was he to not walk away from his faith in a world that was so hostile to God? What does he say? Well, look again at verse 14 and 15. He says, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. He's talking about Timothy's mom, his grandma, and Paul. And in verse 15, he says, and, from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here, it's by remembering the holy scriptures, it's by remembering the Bible that we are pointed to, to, pointed to Jesus as the hope of our salvation. And so when we ask the question, well, how is the Bible really relevant today? How does it matter? How is it useful? It answers the biggest question that there is, that how can we as sinful people be accepted by a holy God? And the Bible clearly points that we find the hope of our salvation through faith in Jesus alone. And yet because of our own sinfulness and because the world around us we're gonna continually be pulled away from our ultimate hope. If we were to look at the voices that inundate our eyes and our ears, if we were to count the hours of time we spend watching TV and reading the news and listening to talk radio or watching YouTube or scrolling social media and, and then compare those with our intake and our meditation on God's word, I think that we would, we would realize that we are far more shaped by the world around us than we are by the words of God. And when that is true, then we fail, we have little chance of continuing to follow God faithfully. In fact, you could say it this way, that we should use the Bible or lose your faith. And so when we ask the question, how is the Bible relevant? Well, the the first answer is that it prepares us for eternity. Now, maybe you'd say, okay, Jason, that's great. You know, of course, that is very important. But what about my life right now? I'm not dead yet, and my life is a struggle right now. So how does the Bible help me right now? Well, the good news is that the second way that this passage talks about how the Bible is useful is that it prepares us for today. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's main point in this passage is that God wrote a book, that all scripture is God-breathed. That is that the words of the Bible are literally the words of God and those words tell us how to live. One person summarized verse 16 by pointing out four ways that the Bible is useful. They said, the Bible tells us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. So how is the Bible useful for us today? Let's look at those four things that that Paul talks about in verse 16. And the first one is this, that the Bible is useful for teaching. That is, it teaches us what is right. Now, maybe you'd say, Jason, okay, hold on for a second here. You know, I've read the Bible, or I've read parts of the Bible, but, but I still got a lot of questions. And so maybe your question is, you know, what does the Bible really teach? Does the Bible teach us everything? Well, no, the Bible doesn't teach us everything. It's not a, a comprehensive textbook that teaches us everything we need to know about math and science and biology and history and language. 
or really any one specific discipline. The, the Bible might touch on those subjects, but the goal of the Bible is to not explain every single detail of our cosmos. So, so what then does the Bible teach? Well, I would say it this way, that the Bible doesn't teach us everything, but it gives us a window through which we can see everything. The Bible teaches us the foundational truths from which we see and we understand the world. It teaches us who God is, who we are, where we come from, what the purpose of our life is, how we are to live our life. It explains our origin, explains our meaning, our morality, and our, and our destiny. But let me get a little bit more, a little bit more practical here. I think when we, when we know the scriptures, when, we, when our minds and our hearts are shaped by the scriptures, the Bible gives us a framework to answer many of the questions that you walked in this room with today. Questions like, does God care about me? Does he care about my pain and sickness? Am I sick because God is judging me? Or how do I overcome my anxiety? What do I do if I have crippling depression? What do I do if I'm in over my head financially? Should I stay in this marriage? Or, or, or who should I marry? Does God hate me because of my sexual desires? How can I stop these same bad habits? Are the choices that I made, are those beyond God's forgiveness? Maybe how can I ever forgive my parents? Or, or how can I be a good parent? Or what do I do if my child has walked away from God? Will God save everyone? Or will he only save those who place their faith in Jesus? And then last, maybe the most important question, and this is for you, Drew Karshner. How can anyone be a Dallas Cowboys fan? <laughs> okay, so the Bible doesn't teach us everything, but it does give us a window through which we can see and understand everything. And to be honest, it doesn't give us simple answers, but it does give us wisdom on the most difficult questions in our lives. The Bible teaches us what is right. But it doesn't just teach us. Paul goes on to say that the Bible is useful for rebuking us, that is, showing us what is not right, and correcting us, telling us how to get right. I want to tackle both of these together. Have you ever found yourself, you're, you're reading the Bible, or maybe you're sitting in a sermon, kind of like today, and someone's teaching from the Bible, and as you engage with God's word, you get smacked in the face with your own sin? I can still remember reading this very same chapter of the Bible when I was in high school and getting smacked in the face with my own sin. You saw at the beginning of chapter three, Paul lists all these ways that people are running from God. And one of those ways was those who are disobedient to their parents. And that was me. And I got smacked in the face and it was painful, but it was needed. It was needed by me. It's needed by all of us. You see, we don't go to scripture because we have our life together. We go to scripture because we don't. Christianity is not for good people, but it's for broken people that God wants to restore. And don't all of us, we long to move out of our brokenness, our addiction, our bad habits, our failed relationships, and into a much healthier life. And scripture, it keeps pointing us back in the right direction. God keeps nudging us. Sometimes it's softly, other times it's loudly. 
back toward him, and he uses his words to do that. And while sometimes that is painful in the moment, God uses his word to help us be redirected to him. But the Bible just doesn't just teach us how to get back on track again. It also helps teach us how to stay on track. And so the last thing that Paul says that the Bible is useful for is for training. That is how to stay right. One of the things that I love to do is play basketball. I played in high school. I played in college. I love to play as much as I can today. But recently, it's been getting increasingly more difficult for me as I've been dealing with some knee pain. And so a couple of months ago, I went to the doctor. I got an x-ray. I got an MRI. And they said, Jason, bad news. You've got arthritis in your knees. I'm getting old. And so they gave me a cortisone shot, one in my left knee, one in my right knee to help relieve some of the pain. And then they sent me to a physical therapist to get some training. And so I went to a physical therapist a couple of weeks ago, and he had me walk around, and he saw how awkward my movements were, and he saw me, he had me bend down and do all these exercises. And right away he said, Jason, you got a problem. Your legs are weak. And he said, unless you train your legs, then you're going to continue to deal with that pain. You're not going to be able to relieve it or reduce it. He said that a cortisone shot is not a good long-term solution for you. You know, it's, it's the same thing with the Bible. That if we want to reduce or address the pain in our life, then we cannot just simply read the Bible once or even occasionally and expect the results that we would like. But we, we often treat the Bible like a magic pill or like, or like a cortisone shot in the knee we hope that if we just flip it open a few times or we read the verse of the day, that it's going to answer all of our problems or it's going to help us to feel closer to God. But, but have you had this experience where you've read the Bible, you've tried reading the Bible, but when you get done, you're disappointed. You would say, you know, my life isn't changing. I feel more confused. In fact, I just closed the Bible and I don't feel any closer to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about this experience in reading the Bible in his book, Life Together. He says this, it is not necessary that we should have any unexpected, extraordinary experience in meditation on the Bible. This can happen, but if it does not, it, it is not a sign that the meditation period has been useless. Not only at the beginning, but repeatedly, there will be times when we feel a great spiritual dryness and apathy an aversion, even an inability to meditate. We dare not be balked by such experiences. Above all, we must not allow them to keep us from adhering to our meditation period with great patience and fidelity. So what Bonhoeffer is saying here is that the Bible is not a book of instant gratification, that we cannot master the Bible in two months. But over a lifetime, it will shape how you see God. It'll shape how you view the world. It'll shape how you live your life. That over time, it'll change your heart and it will make you more like Christ. Let me ask you some questions. What would happen this week if you were faced with a moment of temptation with someone that was not your spouse? Or what would happen this week if you discovered some sort of loophole at work where you could funnel money into your bank account and no one would know about it? What would happen this week if you found out that your child has cancer or that you were going to lose your job or that your husband was going to leave you? 
Reading, knowing, and meditating on the Bible trains us ahead of time so that we are prepared when temptation and trouble comes. In fact, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the word of God in human form, he quoted scripture when he was faced with temptation. In Matthew 4, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The psalmist writes, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Charles Spurgeon, the the great Baptist preacher from a century ago, he says it this way, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So, So how is the Bible relevant to our lives today? How is it useful? As Paul says in this passage, the Bible is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and for training. But but why? To what end? Why teaching? Why rebuking? Why correction? Why training? What is the end goal of using the Bible? Verse 17, Paul says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You could say it this way, that we use the Bible so that we can be used by God. And as we let scripture teach us and change us, then God can use our broken lives to help other broken people find their hope in Christ. Now, as we wrap up this sermon, and as we wrap up this series, I want to close with an action step for all of us. Uh, the, the beginning of this sermon, I talked about, can we, how, is the Bible useful? But I want to end by talking about how should we use the Bible. And I want to point out four ways that we should use the Bible. The first one is this, that we should read it. Today we have the privilege of having the Bible accessible to us today in whatever language we speak, wherever we go, for many of us in our pocket. But maybe like me, many of you would say, you know, I I know I want to read the Bible, but I struggle to find the time to read the Bible. In preparing for this message, I read a book called How to Eat Your Bible by Nate Pickowitz, and he pushes back against our excuses for reading the Bible. He says it this way. He says, if I offered you a million dollars to read your Bible every day for the next year, would you do it? Well, of course you would. You would make the time. You would move mountains to make sure that you didn't skip a day. Now consider that knowing the God of the universe is worth more than all the money in the world. Are we any less motivated to make time for him? What Nate is saying here is that we make time for what we love and we value the most. And so if we want to read the Bible, we need to to pick a time, pick a place, pick a a plan. I find that in my own life, if I don't plan ahead of time when I'm going to read, where I'm going to read, and what I'm going to read, then I struggle to do that consistently. And if you're looking for a good Bible reading plan, if you use the YouVersion Bible app and you make Northridge Church your home church, you can find out Uh, you can find some of our suggested plans there. But in in addition to reading the Bible, we should be listening to it. You might say, Jason, okay, the Bible's important. I want to read it, but frankly, I'm just not a reader. I don't like to read. Or maybe you'd say, I I struggle to read, or I I can't read. You know, if that's your situation, you're in really good company. For thousands of years, the way that most Christians engage with the Bible was by hearing it, either because they didn't know how to read or because they didn't have their own copy of the Bible. And the good news is there's multiple ways that you can hear the Bible today. In fact, I just mentioned one of them. 
If you've never downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, you can find a link to it at iwant.info. And there you can listen to the Bible in multiple translations and languages. And as you listen, you can hear God's voice in your ears. You can listen to the very words of your creator as you get up in the morning, as you take a shower, as you make your coffee, as you drive your work, as you fold your laundry. But not only should we listen to God's word, but we should also hear it taught. As I just mentioned, for the first 1,800 years of Christianity, most Christians didn't have their own copy of the Bible. They depended on hearing the scriptures taught on a Sunday morning in their local church from their pastor. You see, it wasn't until the 1820s that Bibles began to be mass-produced. And there was a group of volunteers that loved the Bible, and they formed what is today called the American Bible Society. They had a desire to get a Bible into the hands of every single American. Today, the average American now has over four copies of the Bible. And anyone that has a smartphone has the Bible accessible to them at any moment. But before most Christians had access to their own Bibles, the primary way that Christians learned the Bible was from the teaching of their local church. And that is still one of the primary ways that we should learn the Bible. And so I would say to you, if you don't attend church on a weekly basis, then then make that a habit. And if Northridge Church is not your home church, then find a church that not only believes the Bible, but teaches the Bible. You see, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul goes on to say that one of the most important duties of every faithful pastor is to teach the word of God so that his congregation will not be led astray. Another way to hear the Bible taught is to sign up for our weekly Equip Resource email. And in that that email, you'll find a, a number of resources from other faithful pastors and teachers and writers to hear the word of God taught. The last way that we should use the Bible is to surround yourself with those who love it and live it. Now, you, you might have found at Northridge, we don't do a whole lot of events or programs. We focus on two primary things. We gather together on Sunday morning like we're doing right now to worship God and to hear the word of God taught. And then we gather together in groups during the week so we can have other people surrounding our lives to help us to live it out. You see, it's not enough to simply read or listen to or hear the word of God taught. We need to surround ourselves with people who will help us apply it to our lives. And so on any given week, in around 80 homes around our city, groups of 5 to 15 people gather to build relationships, to open up God's word and say, hey, what does this mean for me today? And to care for and pray for each other. In his book, How to Eat Your Bible, Nate Pickowitz tells the story of a man who lived much of his life in poverty. He lived much of his life in isolation. He didn't have much. He lived in a small apartment, and in that apartment, he had a few things. He had a table. He had a chair. He had a a small bed. He had a a little fridge and some, some food in that fridge and a little bit of food in his cupboard. And when he passed away, a few people went in to clean out his belongings, but frankly, there was not much to clean out. But when they got to his bedroom closet, they found bags and bags of money. This man who'd lived his entire life in poverty had saved up every last dollar that he'd ever earned had been given. He had these riches available to him that he could use at any moment, but instead he lived his life in poverty. Much of us live the same way. 
We have the riches of God available to us that we can use at any moment, but instead we live our lives in spiritual poverty. God wrote a book, and it's the most powerful book you'll ever read. And yet many of us avoid, we don't hear from God because we neglect his word. But instead of us living in spiritual poverty, let's read God's word, let's listen to it, let's hear it taught, and let's surround ourselves with those who love it and live it. So that as we engage with the word of God, we can engage with God himself. And as we engage with the word of life, we can experience life to the full. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've revealed yourself in many ways. God, you have revealed yourself in creation. You have revealed yourself in your son, Jesus. And you've revealed yourself to us in God's word, in the Bible. And I pray that we would not neglect this treasure that we have. Lord, that we would not live our lives in spiritual poverty, but instead we would engage it. And as we do, God, we would meet you, the one true and living God, and we'd be changed by you. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.